0: Alrighty folks, we are back here with another episode of Ramblings with a Grappleman. You're end spectacular show here for you guys. Um I'm excited that twenty twenty is behind us. I am sitting here right now. It is almost the new year. It is New Year's Eve. It is twelve fifteen zero zero one five. For those of you that go off the military time, we are on December the thirty first, the final day of this tumultuous year that twenty twenty was. Um for as many lows, there were a few highs. A lot of exciting things happened. I'm going to talk about a few of them here because it's a year end show. Most wrestling matches, and this is, you know, at its root, a wrestling and sports podcast. Um, we're going to talk about how matches end. We're going to get a little deep dive into pinfalls here today, ladies and gentlemen. But a few other things I want to talk about, especially in the world of sports. Um, I did, We did just finish recording the picks for the Week 17 matchups in the NFL. Uh, so that's in the can that may be a part of this episode may do it separate no idea you'll find out when this uh drops if you're a subscriber trail is a grappleman you'll get it before everyone else whether it be in the apple podcast whether it be in the google store or spotify of course this is up through anchor my uh, great host of the podcast here also available on breaker and stitcher and just about anywhere you listen to podcasts wherever you're listening to this thank you very much Hopefully soon in the new year I will uh, turn this into a video thing and get on the YouTube or something and try to figure out that end of the technology. Vidge is not my specialty, but we'll give it a whirl, right? Um, For those who want to see this ugly mug, some faces are meant better be uh, unseen behind the microphone than uh, in front of it, so... We'll to venture down that world when we get there, but I uh, don't want to hold up too much of your time here. Just listen to me flap my gums, but it is ramblings of a grappleman, and that is what I'm doing is I am rambling. So, 2020, in the books, we're here. We are at the very tail end of it. Of course, we've had this pandemic that's been going on for us here in the States since March here in Michigan. We locked down um, well, Friday the 13th of March was... was The last day that most people were in my office of working. And I think uh, March 11th was the first case here in Michigan. Um, I know the NBA shut down March 11th. NHL shut down. The Columbus Blue Jackets actually were the first sports team to shut down. They shut down March 9th. So, yeah, we've been going on with this thing for over nine months. The vaccine is apparently here. But, of course, uh, we got a ways to go before that happens. And a lot of uh, new hope uh, to start off the new year for a lot of people and a, a little bit of a reset button but 2020 wasn't all that bad in the world of music i want to start this thing off uh, I, I listen to a lot of um hard rock and heavy metal for those of you that don't know um and that's usually where i'm going to look for new songs i can listen to just about anything but most new music that comes to me is going to be in that genre because of bands i like um and it's just what i default to when i mostly will listen to music um but again, very open minded. You hear you hear, a good song is a good song. Doesn't matter the genre to me, you tell me it's a good song, so check it out, I will listen to it. Um But uh yeah, I, I put together a little list of a bunch of songs that came out that were released in twenty twenty, not released in twenty nineteen and broke in twenty twenty. songs that were came out this year and there was there was a lot. I do a yearly playlist. I've talked about this on previous podcasts where I just add songs that get stuck in my head or I hear or want to hear, um, just whatever it might be. And I'll just, I make a playlist in Spotify for that year and I just throw songs into it. It grows every year. And this year it was over 700 songs. Um, I think in 2019 it was pushing 400. 2018, I think it was about 350. 2017, I think it was about 300. 16, I believe, was the first year I did it, and it was about 200 to 250 songs. So I'm up to 700, which is not a good trend if I want to listen to every song on that playlist. But I was doing a lot of driving this year, so I did listen to a lot of those songs. Instead of driving back and forth to work, I was going out on, on some Sunday night drives. I listened to Hard Drive with Lou Brutus, um, It's just a nationally syndicated radio show. Lou Brutus turned me onto a lot of bands when I was young. Um, his show used to come on at like 6, 5 or 6 a.m. on the riff and my bro I was working at McDonald's at the time I was like 15 years old and um my brother was like the opening manager and we would go to McDonald's and I would, it was like I would just help him open the store um before my shift technically started but we would have that on and you know that's why I first heard um Slipknot actually and first heard Static X and Power Man 5000 and um he was playing like a lot of bands before they broke big and disturbed um you know, Stupefy was getting played on there before the album came out. And, and at that time, mainstream rock radio was still playing like the riff would have played uh, for new music more in the vein of like your Red Hot Chili Peppers and even Aerosmith, ACDC, you know, your bigger, more known bands. And, and Lou Brutus was kind of the guy that's like, hey, these are the next big bands. And he's still doing his show. It's syndicated now, though, on Sunday nights here in Detroit at 10 p.m. It's 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 world, though. You can stream it at any time, whatever. I'm not here to just plug Lou Brutus. I, I love Hard Drive, love his show. And, you know, I, I've heard a lot of good songs on there this year. But just in general, a lot of artists got creative, they got writing. You've had a lot of super groups that. Um, for lack of a better word, that would jam together. And, and the world was introduced to Skype and Zoom. And, and these artists had outlets to record songs and rebrand and things like that. So there was a lot of great new music this year. And I think there will be even more great music next year since all these artists have been inspired to write um, through this pandemic. Um, and they've had time to to be creative and have an outlet. And this podcast is my creative outlet um, in a lot of ways with with wrestling shows shut down i don 't have that ability to to book cards and and write, so you, you come up with something when you have that creative mind and uh all power in the world to to the musicians out there and I thank them for what they do um, and I know i 'm forgetting hundreds of songs here that, uh, that i 've put in the playlist, but these were the ones that I jotted down real quick that off the top of my head um, that stand out to me, and I kind of wrote them down and then put them into an order. Uh, which I think were my favorite 20. I had 26, and I scribbled it out, and I was going to go 25. I didn't rank them, but the five songs that did get cut out at the end um, was Hollywood Undead's Heart of a Champion, Royal Blood's Trouble Coming, Static X Hollow, Aaron Jones' Take Me Away, and Twisted's Rose Petal. All new songs that came out in 2020 that good songs. I like them. They're in my playlist. I've listened to them multiple times. I don't skip them. Um, And uh, they just aren't in the top 20 So I guess I'll start with number 20 The new Rob Zombie song dropped in October Triumph of a King Freak um, Typical Rob Zombie song Nothing really out of the ordinary there But I like Rob Zombie I like most of the songs he puts out And just another, another good one from him um, Five Finger Death Punch released a new album in February uh, It's now I believe A big single off the album the, On my first listen the song that jumped out to me Was a little bit off I really dug that song that, that I have slotted in at number 19. Um, but it's, I believe it's their new big single um, off that album, and it's it's really climbing up the rock charts. Um, really good song for mental health, too, because it's it's, it's uh, definitely something that... Um, it's an easy listen. It's a short song. Um, and kind of a lot like how in 2019, popular Monster by falling in reverse off my list here. But this was a 2019 song. was in a band called Bad Flower had ghosts. And there's a lot of these positive messages deep within these these really troubled mental health type of songs and um you know i really dig dig those right now um you know I, I, especially this year it was, that was a good tune and i felt like that song by Five Finger death punch a little bit off ranks in at 19 for me but it's it's a good listen and definitely something when you're in a bad mood you can listen to it and relate to um, Ozzy Osbourne released new music in 2020. His album, Ordinary Man, title track, Ordinary Man with Elton John. It's just two classic musicians. Uh, by classic, I mean, like, they're they're legends. I shouldn't use the word classic. They're absolutely legendary musicians. They collaborated together. Ozzy Osbourne, Elton John, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal song. Nice little ballad. Ozzy's always been good at putting those ballads out. I think, I think the big song off the album was, uh, um you the know, Post Malone, he did the song with him, I think it was Take Me, Take Me Away, maybe, no, that's not right, oh my god, Starting on the tip of my tongue, but anyways, he did the song with Post Malone, that was, that was, that broke huge for him, and opened up Ozzy to a whole new generation of, of kids out there who had no idea who he was, so that was cool for him, good for him to get that out there, new album, I mean, it was hit and miss, definitely new producer, you could tell Zach Wilde wasn't there, but Ordinary Man, just a really, really good song, um, you know, like I said, with Alton John and Ozzy, really cool collaboration. Silverstein came back this year. They locked in at number 17 for me with their song called Infinite. Um, this was a band I was never really into that much. They had songs that I didn't mind. But, um, you know, Infinite was a song that was a little bit more on the the rock and metal side, less on the punk, hardcore, and like the the emo side, if you will. Um so it was a good hybrid for them. And a lot like how Day to the Remember last year, you know, again I could take a band every year that kinda of does this. The Day of the Remember did it. Um and I really liked some of their their, their new album. I have always liked that band more than I did Silverstein, but Silverstein, like I said, they've always had a song or two on every album they've put out that I've listened to that I've I've dug and Infinite was that song this year. Marilyn Manson came out with new music over the summer. Um a lot of great cover songs this year, and I was I was looking at his "God's Gonna Cut You Down" song, but I decided to go with "Don't Chase the Dead" from him. Um, I thought that was the best song on the album, um, and again, I believe that is now getting released as a single. As I, within the last week, I've, I've heard it um, on Octane. Um, so Don't Chase the Dead by Marilyn Manson was my number 16 song. Theory of a Dead Man, coming in at 15 for me. Very controversial band in 2018 when they released their new album because they, they shifted away from that post-grunge, uh, hard rock type of sound, and they went to more of uh a, a alternative rock and like almost pop-influenced style. Um, other bands have kind of dabbled in there with it but it it works for theory and they've kind of they have they they dropped the of a dead man as well um they're just kind of going by theory uh the, the new album called say nothing has some really really good songs on it. That's the, that's the thing that you find when these bands get experimental and they might change their sound up or they bend genres and they they try to get with the times and and a lot of bands do it and it get hated by by their core fan base and I I'm always open to that. I dig a good concept album. I dig when bands try something new because that's their creativity, that's their musicianship, and that's the artist in them. and that's the that's where their minds were at when they recorded that and that's what they wanted to do. And the easy thing to do is to just keep putting out the same album over and over and over again with the same formula over and over and over and over again. So I respect the hell out of a band when they try something different. Um, Whether it works, whether it doesn't, you never know uh, what the end result is going to be um, for that band. But I I have a lot of respect for them, and I liked this album. The closing track was called It's All Good, another just a feel-good song. And this year, you know, you needed those songs, especially early on. This album came out right at the top of the year. Uh, Say Nothing by Theory of the Man again is the album. It's all good, the song. Really good um, uplifter. Make you feel feel pretty good um, at yourself. Good way to close the album. Evanescence comes back with some new music this year. I don't think they put an actual album out, but they dropped a few singles and new songs. Um, Use My Voice was, uh, was a single from there, and I really, really liked that song the first time I heard it. It's very good chanting chorus, and Amy Lee's always got got good vocals on it, and uh, less synth than their last album, and I do apologize for that dog you're hearing in the background if it's picking it up. It's my neighbor's dog. Really, really stupid dog named Murphy that gets outside and just barks constantly the whole time he's outside and um really cool dog if you're out there with him and petting him but when he's out there by himself he just barks and it's very annoying so i apologize for that but um that's the quality of a podcast i have here for you though ladies and gentlemen but again uh evanescence use my voice came in at 14 for me on the year really like that song um asking alexandria had a couple new songs this year new album I uh, wasn't sure which one I really liked the most, but Anti-Socialist is one I listened to the most, so that's the one that makes my list from them coming in at number 13. Um, Asking Alexandria is a band that they, I I, I kind of going to what I was saying about theory, they changed their sound up a little bit over the years. They experiment from record to record with, with subtle changes, but you listen to their new music to when they first came out, and it does sound like an entirely different band, and I think that's, I don't have a problem with it. Um, a lot of good bands do that um, because you you get older. And as you get older, your music tastes do change a little bit. Your influences change a little bit. And, you know, again, they, they're writing music that they want to write, that they enjoy, and, you know, kudos to them. And I, I dig it. And Anti-Socialist, good, good little song. Um, probably the most unique song on my list is from a very unique, another polarizing artist is Poppy with her song Concrete. Now, Poppy a lot of uh she kind of gained notoriety through her YouTube channel and like a song where she was like I am Poppy and just said that over and over again and she then turned into like a heavy metal artist and her album is wild it is it is just a roller coaster ride and concrete isn't opens up with really dark vocals um it's it's like a creepy whisper it's a haunting type of song much like how she does with scary mask um and then she goes into this like almost hippie type of sound um very trance-like sounds very 60s influence and then it comes in with just this blast beat death metal uh, tempo on the guitars and the drums and it is just an assault of fury and then she comes in hard with the vocals and then she lays back the, and lets herself sing with the clean vocals and then it goes into like a Japanese pop type of influence sound. It's a wild track. Most of her songs are that way and I dig it. I like it when songs change it up. You know, you can only like listen to the same tempo and the same thing over and over again. You know, you get three, four minutes deep into a song. But when you don't know what's coming next and what genre it is, I dig it and, and, and kudos to her. Um for having that the creativity to tr- try to do that and to mix it up and to not know what's coming next. I mean, you're listening to a metal song one second, a K-pop song the next, to an, uh, a 60s uh, hippie song, and it's just a wild ride. When I mean, you listen to Poppy's album in Concrete, probably my favorite song on that album and definitely my favorite song of the year. Um, that song came out at the very beginning of the year, too, so really, really cool for her. Um, Palais Royale, a band that um, grew on me. I did not like them when I first heard them. Um, they've definitely grown on me. In 2020, I listened to a lot of play Royale. Their song, Hang On To Yourself, um, probably my favorite song off the new album. Um, Dying in a Hot Tub is my favorite song from them. Um, but yeah, they were a grower for sure. And the new album, though, once they grew on me and I listened to the new album, I loved the new album the first time I listened to it, Hang On To Yourself, very good track. I liked that one a lot. Um Fame on Fire, her eyes. Fame on Fire is another band that actually was big on YouTube for doing covers. Um, They were doing a bunch of cover songs, and uh, I don't remember the song off the top of my head now as I'm recording, where they went viral with, and it has like over 100 million uh, YouTube watches um, and listens, and they, they were covering these pop songs, and they decided to start putting their own music out in her eyes. Uh, it was my number ten song on the year. I, I really liked, like that song. Again, came out earlier on in the year, and just, um, you know, just kind of hit close to home. And uh, and and I really dug that song a lot um, when I first heard it back in January, February, and still holds up as, as a really good track whenever it pops on on the playlist. And this moment band I like a lot, really really good live band. They never uh, disappoint. Maria Brink. Um just had a birthday a couple weeks ago in December here. Fantastic front woman, a lot of charisma, really good show. I've seen them probably seven or eight times. The show just keeps getting bigger and better every time I see them. It's evolved. It's it's less assault-based. And as she's changed, and she's become more spiritual, if you will, and her vocal style has changed a lot. They're no longer like a metalcore band, and they're almost like a industrial groove uh, band with a blues influence and and you know they of course have the metal the metal double bass in there and just really talented um songwriting on the new album a little bit different going back to more of uh what they did with Black Widow than they did with ritual ritual was definitely a lot more blues driven um a lot less synth, a lot less electronics, just more um traditional instruments used on uh, ritual and the new album they went more in the direction of of what kind of put them brought them to the mainstream in the rock world and made them a headliner and as above so below was my favorite song on that album Uh, a new band called the violent emerged this year in may uh, a bunch of subliminal messages on the internet started popping up um, through like the music sites and stuff and there was like a kind of like a who is this band and it was The thought was that it was going to be some kind of super group. They released their first song, uh, Fly on the Wall. And this was the beautiful thing of 2020 is you have a a group here of of artists that they didn't want to be known who it was, who they were, or anything like that. They just had a song that they recorded and they did, and they released it on their own. They were able to put it out through Spotify. No record label, no nothing, and just grassroots movement. You, you plug it you, you know they obviously they're musicians so they have connections to get it played on on, uh, on octane and on hard drive and, and some of the bigger radio rock stations across the country started picking up and playing it but it was it, it was in may it got released and i think it was like around fourth of july it only had ten thousand listens in spotify right by september this thing has, has over 2 million listens, um, By so it blew up over the summer, um, and it's a really good song, and it turns out that it really was the band Red Sun Rising, minus their drummer or, and bass player, I believe it was, There's three members of Red Sun Rising. Um, Red Sun Rising went on hiatus, they kind of broke up, they were kind of not sure what they wanted to do, so the other members of the band just wrote this track, and pumped it out and they had another song called smile like a hostage uh that just came out as well so two songs from them i might have a third one that was supposed to be dropping soon it might have already dropped at the time of this recording but fly on the wall was my number eight song uh cory taylor singer from slipknot and stone sour my favorite vocalist um the guy has ridiculous range he put out his uh cmft his debut solo album um really good tracks on there very different genre bending the first time I listened to the album, my favorite song was Highway 666, which is what comes in at number seven for me on Song of the Year. Um, Behind Blue Eyes, great song that was the lead single. CMFT must be stopped. Good fun rock and banger song with with, with the rap rock influence. He's got Tech Nine and Kid Cudi on there uh, with him. Couple of other guest appearances throughout the album, but you know, more and more listening, it's like um, everyone dies on my birthday. He was born on December 10th, John Lennon, Dimebag Bag Daryl's who he's referring to there. There's an you know just wild, uh wildly good written song. That's a good one. It's a really good album, front to back. And uh kudos to him for getting that out. And I least I, I can listen to him sing all day. Um great acoustic show live too. My favorite one of my favorite top three concerts for sure might be my number one. Um, love Corey Taylor. Highway 666 came in at number 7 for me. 10 Years, The Shift. Uh, 10 Years, The Band, The Shift is the song, number 6. This song, um, was written, actually, in November of 2019. Uh, got released, I believe, in February or March. And the chorus of the song says, uh, it has the words, A violent virus without a cure. Um, they wrote this before... We knew that the the um, the um pandemic was going to hit. So it kind of helped really cement things in the head. It was a very relatable chorus, even though the song has nothing to do with the coronavirus pandemic. But it just was a, a kind of ironic um, songwriting there with the time. So good on them. It's a really good song. Ten Years is a band that I did not like when I first heard them. They've really grown on me with their last two or three albums um front to back they've always had like a song here or there i like but they well, yeah, have about 10 years of well shit longer than that's been almost 15 years since i first heard 10 years and i wasn't a big fan of them but um over the last 10 years they've slowly grown on me and their last two albums especially i've really dug um my favorite band ever number five machine head they didn't release a new album in 2020 they went through a lot of lineup changes they were actually touring um at the beginning of the year and and had uh they cancel shows in the middle of February and come to find out and this is why what we know about the coronavirus was just so wild at the time um, was machine Head had to cancel a few shows because they got super sick and they had, after a New York show they did a show in New York and in February and they canceled Cleveland and Detroit they were hospitalized and it's the second time they've had to cancel a couple of years they had a pneumonia outbreak a few years ago anyways they canceled these shows, and then their tour manager was from the U.K., and when he got back to the U.K., uh, he got an antibody test for the coronavirus in, like, the end of March, and he tested that he'd had the, anti- the 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 coronavirus, and the only time he'd been sick was when they were in New York, and they were in New York in February. So the virus was definitely here in the States long before they, You know, we, we thought. It, it goes further back than that. Um, they didn't know, they didn't know what they had Doctors just didn't know what it was That they had at the time either So kind of a wild little story there that, that came out They never got tested They're not on the books as having it or anything like that But they definitely said Well our tour manager had it And we've never been that sick in our lives We didn't have smell and taste And all the symptoms um, A couple of the guys in the band Talk about having And you know it was Rob Flynn uh, The singer for Machine Has had a podcast uh, That he's been up and down with this year And he talked about it on there But anyways, their song, Circle the Drain, um, they started writing it last year, and it's been kind of in production, they finished recording it at the beginning of this year before the pandemic, and came out, um, but Machine Head popped out a few songs this year, one cool thing Machine Head did do, um, was, they, Rob Flynn wrote a song, um, around Memorial Day, when, when, uh, right after the George Floyd incident, and, um, Jesse Leach, A Kill Switch Engage, and I think Jamie Josta got involved in the project. So he wrote this song, and within a week, he'd had a music video filmed, the song recorded and released on Spotify, full musicianship, and just everything, full production, full crew. And that's just the beauty of 2020. A great song comes out. They put out two songs around that time. Um, I don't recall the names off the top of my head, which I know probably makes me a terrible fan, but then um, they put another song out later in the year. um... God, it's empty my hands or my hands are empty, something like that, um, which is another really really good song. So Machine Head kind of going in that route of uh, which they've done before with is anybody out there several years ago. They said you know it's, we're not going to write a new album if we don't have to. We can put me pump music out just like the the hip hop artists do, um, and they're kind of leading the metal charge there. Uh, the Who, a, a group of artists from Mongolia. Uh, Redid their song, Wolf Totem, with Jacoby Shaddix, the Papa Roach. That song comes in at number four for me. I love the groove and the beat to that. I'm going a lot longer winded on music here than I thought I was 25 minutes deep in this thing, and I'm still talking about what I thought was going to take me five minutes. Um, Number three song on the year, Sons of Texas, Under the Gun, a ballad. I love Mark Morales' vocals. He's done a lot with uh, Mark Morton of uh, Lamb of God on his acoustic tours, being his vocalist. Um, but Under the Gun, great song from the Sons of Texas. That's my number three song on the year. My second favorite band, and um, in, in definitely my favorite band in the last 10 years that I've discovered is is a band called Avatar of Sweden. Their song, A Secret Door. Love that song. Favorite song on the album. Come to find out that the whistling is actually from Corey Taylor. Uh, he was in the studio when they were recording he offered, hey, if you guys want me to lay down guest vocals or anything like that, I would be down. Um, They didn't like the way the sound was coming across, and Corey Taylor was actually whistling to, like, just kind of whistling as he was listening to the song, and they took the sound that they were trying to put in there, replaced it with his whistling, so that's his guest vocal appearances instead of having this world-renowned vocalist, um, well-known guest on your track to help get downloads. It's just his it's it's uncredited but it's his whistles on the track secret door really really good probably my favorite song on their, their new album and um colossus is a good one too um got of sick dreams isn't too shabby uh, children's a really really good track wormholes awesome as well but secret door is my song my number one song on the year is from a band called night flight orchestra divinals um love this song came out Last winter, and this band just another one they keep pumping out albums every other year. But it's it's uh Bjorn Speed Thrid of Soil Work is the lead singer. Um, Soil Work, obviously, very aggressive Swedish death metal melodic Swedish death metal band. Um, Arch Enemy, Death Angel uh, members make up, um, not Death Angel, Archenemy, and um, oh god, I Dark Tranquility uh, members making up Night Flight Orchestra. But it's it's more in the vein of like American album oriented rock and roll that they listened to in America when they would tour here. And they say, let's just form a super group that does not play metal, that plays rock and roll. Uh, they have definitely adapted the Swedish pop influence of, of ABBA into their music in recent years and the European style and stuff. So just a good fun rock band. And the Vinyls is a good fun track. That new album at transmission they put out. The Nightfly Orchestra also, they were still touring during the pandemic overseas um they stopped touring in april actually they were touring in like Poland and stuff they did a concert they were like the first band to do a a concert from one of their venues without fans and they 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 streamed it live for free um for the whole world to see and they didn't cancel they you know it was the first the first show where the country shut down fans and no fans allowed and they were like the first band to do the live streaming from a concert hall Full light production, full everything, just no fans in attendance, and then you just have to stream it from home. So that was pretty cool that they were able to do that. Um, so kudos to Night Flight Out, of Vinyls, my number one song on the year. Um, that's going to do it for the music piece of the podcast. I'll get into pinfalls here in a second, uh, and kickouts and all that. Uh, sports, I'm going to talk about for a second as well. Hockey coming back January 13th, the NHL will resume. On my last podcast, I had a couple hockey questions, Um, and the division realignment is set. They have a north division, which was going to be the Canadian division, all the Canadian teams in there for travel restrictions due to COVID. I don't know how I like the division realignment, but it'll be interesting because they're just going to basically play the same seven or eight teams over and over again for a 56-game schedule, I believe it is. Top four teams from each division go to the playoffs, and they have like a, you know, then the top the the winners of those, those games will then play each other so you'll eventually have a winner from each division you'll have your east uh i think it's the east central north and west uh divisions is how they did it and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds um playing the same teams in like back to back series kind of thing with the uh, you know what college basketball's doing the NBA and these other these other leagues so NHL's in suit they just had the biggest roadblock because they have the they have seven Canadian teams, and all that travel during the pandemic making it very, very hard. So they were actually the first. They were trying to get vaccines for all the players. That didn't obviously work out. There's people who need them far more than professional athletes. Um, I would have kind of been ashamed if the NHL did get that, but I get why they were going to try to do it, because if all the athletes got tested, got, got it, and they could play it, and they could travel in and out of the country, no problem at all, right? So... It'll be interesting, exciting to see it. I love hockey, so season's supposed to end um, late June, early July is what it's projected to right now starting in January 13th. Puck drop. Uh, the NFL playoffs will be starting up, uh week 17 this weekend. So NFL playoffs next week. Super Bowl coming up in February. Hopefully all the teams continue to follow their good protocols. Should be a very exciting postseason. I love that they've added the seven team uh, to each conference for the playoffs, so you get that extra two extra playoff games on Wild Card Weekend, which is exciting. The NBA just started up. Um, they're doing a weird schedule themselves. College basketball just started up, and then of course you got the college football uh, national championships going on um, this weekend. Is the uh, the play-in games to see who's going to be the final two teams? Um, you know, you got Alabama, Notre Dame, are playing each other in Clemson and Ohio State. So. Sports is very prevalent despite the pandemic. Um, it's been very good, and you no know, complaints there. And as we get into the world of wrestling, talk on my year-end spectacular podcast. Um, we had a death in the wrestling world. Two deaths actually over the last over this past weekend. Um, Luke Harper, Brody Lee. Real name is John Huber. Luke Harper, WWE. Brody Lee was his name on the Indies and in uh, AEW, where he was last wrestling in on TNT. For those of you who don't, most of you out here, I'm sure know, because this is, again, a wrestling-rooted podcast. But, um, you know, he passed away, it and it's really sad. I know my, my friend was a, was a big fan of his because he got to, got to kind of work with him on a show and, and be share a locker room with him and get to know the man a little bit just on a show or two. Um, but he had a good good effect on there, and the guy was a hell of a worker, a really talented performer, Passed away at 41. Uh had his last match in October, a dog collar match. Cody Rhodes, a great promo leading up to a phenomenal match. You know, made me proud as a fan of the dog collar match, as someone who's had dog collar matches. And, um, you know, it always everyone always points to to, to Valentine and, and Piper, which is, of course, the, the classic, the original. But, but there's been old, more dog collar matches through the years. I always point to, like, Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner having one that I always dug. Um, Duggan and Buzz Sawyer had another one, and you know, there's the dog collar match, very popular in the '80s and early '90s, and then it faded away. WWE's never done them, so a lot of fans forgot about them. I always liked to do them on indie shows. They're a hard match, a hard story to tell, um, but very brutal match, and and yeah, I've been a part of some that I've been really proud of, and I thought those guys did the match justice, and they had a really good one. Um, good, good last match for them to go out on. I mean, the the episode of wrestling the night on AEW was dedicated to him. Um, really cool to see and just all the stories you hear about him being such a great family man, a good father, and just well respected and there's not many guys that have the respect from everyone, um, in wrestling. There's usually like cliques or there's there's people who really aren't that great of human beings, um, and they'll get their clicks and their people that flock together, but it seemed like every single person uh, was touched by John Huber, and they liked him. It's it, it sad, and I've always been done a discus lariat. I did it for my left arm, a little bit different. Um, and then when he was doing it, it was always, always cra- you know. I stopped playing wrestling video games when I started wrestling, but I would always like try to create a guy. I'm like, man, it sucks that they don't have like a spinning clothesline for a finishing move in here. And then I remember my brother, my younger brother, created me, you know, once Luke Harper and WWE started hitting that discus clothesline, they made it a finishing move in the game, so it was cool that when my younger brother created me as a creative wrestler, I at least had my, one of my signature moves um, that that fit with my creative guy, so that was really cool to see. Um, kudos to him for that, loved, always loved the, the spinning clothesline, and he did it better than anybody, and, um, you know, it, it sucks whenever there's a wrestler who dies at 41 years old, and, it was, a. all as we know is his wife put out a statement. Uh, he's been in the hospital for like, you know, roughly two months with a, a non COVID related lung issue. So forty-one's really young to go. And, um, for a guy at, at, at his, uh, in the prime of his career, really, really tough. But, you know, you just, you, you just got to take every day and, and, and enjoy every day that you possibly can. Um, because you never know when it's going to be your last, or when something tragic is going to happen and and uh, and change your life for good. Um, and that's something that you can take away from this. And um, where our other wrestling-related death over the weekend on the same day actually is Danny Hodge. He was 88 years old, and a little bit easier to come to grips with when a legendary man like that passes away um, as a wrestling fan. Because one, you you don't see him on TV currently, and he's He's uh, 88 years old, so you're like, he's lived a full life. Like, it's easier when someone at that age goes. Um, it's never easy to lose anyone, but it, it, it's a little bit easier to accept, I guess. Um, and Danny Hodge uh, was the first wrestler on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, still, like, there's, there's video footage out there of him. I think he was 84 years old at a wrestling convention, and he was always known as the man with the, the grip because he was, like, double-jointed in his hands. Or with double tendons in his hands, he had this crazy tennis strength, so people would have him hand him an apple and he could crush an apple in his hand still like eighty four years old. I mean the guy's grip strength was absolutely insane um pro boxer pro wrestler from the you know forties fifties sixties one a lot of people say he's the toughest man to ever step foot in a wrestling ring, so sad had to lose them both on the same day um of course, you know brody. Lee, Luke Harper, whatever you want, whatever you know him as, is the guy who's gonna, John Huber is the guy who's going to get the most attention um, because he was in the prime of his career. Sad to go, but wrestling point of my podcast today, um, something I'm very passionate about: pinfalls, kickouts. I once had a, a show. Um, those of you out there who were part of this show will remember. Um, my 45-minute tirade on lazy kickouts um, were so much that I got so freaking animated that I was in the ring, rolling around, kicking out, basically pinning and kicking out of with no one there, just having a match by myself to emphasize the importance of, of a kickout and emphasize the importance of the pinfall in a match and how... Wrestlers take it for granted because you watch it on TV and you see it over and over and over and over again and you become desensitized to the product that you lose sight of the psychology behind the purpose of a pinfall. A lot of young wrestlers emulate what they see on TV so they see a guy go for pin and kick out and they don't look at the psych. They don't look at the finite details of how that pins work, why it's executed and the uh, story behind it. They look at it and all they see is... They lay on them. They see a kick out, and they're moving to the next spot. They're not focused in on. They're not studying, and they're not learning every little intricacy of the business. That's what I do. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm gonna ramble about. So on a pinfall, your object of any wrestling match is to convince the fans that what you're doing is meaningful. What you're doing is real. They know the violence isn't all going to be real. We know, as being pro wrestlers, that there's a lot of stuff that is very real. And we get punished, and we get kicked, and we get hit for real, and it hurts. And the fans will think it's fake and phony and this and another thing, and we know it's not. But the one thing that is real is the finish. The end of a match is the most real thing to a fan because there's a real winner. There's a real conclusion. They understand what they saw. But so many wrestlers take for granted the importance of every pin and every kick out. And they get lazy pins and lazy kickouts, lazy pins until they get to the end. And then they try to fool the fans with a false finish. And the false finish is the most bastardized thing in pro wrestling. And when you don't have a good finish... Earlier in the show, you can't have a good false finish. If you don't have a a track record of having good finishes, you can't have good false finishes. You can have good false finishes if every pin you go for looks like you're trying to win the damn match. And that's what every pin you should do for. Like, there's no reason that you shouldn't be trying to pin someone to convince the fans that you're trying to win. Anytime you go for a pin, it's to to win the damn match. And, And I'll hear wrestlers all the time say well that doesn't they've fallen into this this seven step formula and this very formulaic match it's like no your job this does the the seven step story throw it out the damn window because the story that you're trying to tell to the fans should, should dictate between your two characters and dictate between your two personas and whatever's happening and yeah the shine the cutoff the heat spot the the comeback, the double down, the blah, 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 whatever order you want to put it in. what? I, ugh, I hate the seven-step match. Is it important and it is easy for a young man to listen, to learn? Yeah, absolutely. But when you go to a wrestling show, especially on any show where the talent is wide variety, where you've got guys who've had less than a year experience, you've got guys who've been doing this for 20 years, and if they're all doing the same seven-step match, I don't care who you are, if you're the biggest diehard wrestling fan or if this is the first time you're coming to a show, you're going to pick up and you're going it makes it look as fake and as choreographed and as phony as possible and every match is doing the exact same steps. It's like, sure, that's the climax of every good movie. But what makes a great movie a great movie is when it's got twists and when it's got turns it's got plot lines or maybe that opening sequence is actually in the middle of the match. Your opening might be real slow, might be character development, might be character driven. And then, boom, you get the shine in the middle. And then you can go back to some character work. It doesn't... You can take those same elements and plug them in just about anywhere. You can start a match with false, false freaking finishes. Because you're trying to win the damn thing. So why shouldn't you be trying to win the match as fast as possible to take the least amount of abuse as possible so you can go home? And, hey, to the fans get that payday at the end of the day. But, nope, we're following a formula. And it's desensitizing fans. And this is what's driving me nuts about Because it, it's desensitizing fans to where when they see a pin attempt, they're not reacting to it at all. Because what they're they're being conditioned by the the psychology of the matches and the story of these matches, they're being conditioned to to know that well, they're not gonna end the match with the first pin. They're not gonna end the match until they go for six or seven pins, because every match before it has done the same thing. So you're not fooled by a pin. Which is where it comes back to the Booker, and the Booker needs to tell these guys hey, opening match, you're winning with a freaking roll up. You're winning with this. this you're winning with uh, any type of pin. Um, two false finishes, three false finishes. Hello, your first match can have all the false finishes and the night. Maybe your second match is the damn squash. The Booker is just as responsible as the talent in the ring to fool the fans. And now you have guys going out there, and they have to kill themselves to try to get over, and they're doing more high risk and more high dangerous moves to try to get over when really the root of the problem is it all comes back to how you end a match with the pinfall and the kickout where the simplicity of the story can be as driven around that. Now, you've got all these different type of pins um, through the years that people have used to win matches. And I don't know when. It's probably a discussion for another time or a ramble for another time with finishing moves because... You don't need to hit a finishing move to win a match. It's kind of wild to me that some wrestlers will only win the match with one move. Well, what the hell's the point of doing all the other moves that you do? If you're going to do 27 moves in a match, but one works every time, why the hell don't you just do that one first? Think about that. Chew on it. Finishing moves are the most overrated thing in pro wrestling, and that's I'm the minority in saying that. And I know that I am the only person that may say it, but I can argue my point, and I will argue it to you until I'm blue in the face because I believe strongly that you should be able to win a match with any move in your arsenal, and it shouldn't ego shouldn't come in the way from the guy taking that eating that fall. He should be like, yeah, I'll lose to your your flatliner. Yeah, I'll lose your belly-to-belly belly suplex. Yeah, I'll lose your German suplex. You know what? I'll use your small package because, you know, at the end of the day, we're still winning and losing. It's not about the moves, guys. It's about the damn story. And it's about the context that it takes to get there and your character and your persona and driving there. I have no have derailed here, but it's something I'm very passionate about because the pinfall is the most important part of the match and it's the most taken-for-granted piece of the match. Whether you're going for a lateral press, you're hooking the leg, whether you're you're just uh, focusing on a... Maybe it's a three-quarter Nelson. Maybe it's a half Nelson. Maybe it's just a, shooting the half uh, to roll over. Maybe it's a schoolboy. Roll up. Prawn pin. Jackknife pin. O'Connor roll. molly straw cradle. Oklahoma roll. Inside cradle. Small package. Victory roll. Etc, etc, etc. No matter what the hell type of pin it is you're going for, the effort into that pin should be convincing the fans that you're trying to win the match when you go for it. So, if you're going to do a Oklahoma roll, don't just roll over the guy, hook him, kick out, bounce to the next spot. Hook him. Hook those legs. The guy getting pinned needs to kick, 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 kick. Boom, big explosive kick out. Don't feed right up and then run into the next damn spot. Left that, Left. You have to show, when that guy kicks out of whatever pin it is, I guess I need to rewind a little bit. We'll get back to that piece of it. But going into the psychology of why you go for a pin. So when you go for a pin, you're, you're trying to incapacitate your opponent for three seconds and keep his shoulders or her shoulders on the mat for three seconds. Again, go back to the finishing move thing. Why does every finishing move have to be a knockout shot that's going to put somebody in a hospital? It doesn't need to be. To win a wrestling match, you only got to put a person down for three seconds. Stun them. Knock the wind out of them. Whatever it is, you're just putting someone down and holding them there for three seconds. Amateur wrestling or amateur wrestling, depending on how you want to say it, it's one second. You just get those shoulders down, you hold them down for a second. That referee makes sure they're down. One over. Pro wrestling is three seconds. So when you're doing that, there's a multiple psychology behind it. I like to tell a story when I wrestle with my pins. Early on, I try to go for some kind of cradle pin. Or some kind of um, roll-up type of pin, something quick, something where it's you're trying to hold the guy down. You're both full, full of energy, full of strength. So you're trying to surprise your opponent. You're trying to win the match, so you get him down. You get the shoulders down. You're trying to to stack him, whatever it might be. He kicks out. You can back up and reset, and you know the whether in the baby face or whether on the heel, I can step back and I can work the crowd by. Uh, be like, whoa, oh, oh, buddy! I almost got you. I was that close. um You know, if I'm the heel, I'll be like, you know, whatever it is. You you, you can play off each other. You're reacting to what each other's doing, so it's like, okay, this guy's got tricks. He's going to do this, and then you can go into your next spot and sequence and work it in. Maybe that guy tries to catch you with a quick pin. You kick out. Whoa, you're a little surprised. If you're a bad guy, you go to the ref, hey, he hooked the tights, he pulled the hair, whatever it might be. I always like to go with the pull the hair because I'm a bad guy because I don't have hair. It just not just puts heat on me because it's like this guy's truly lying. Which, what makes a bad person a bad person? Well, they're a liar, they're a cheater, they're a thief, they're you know breaking one of the Ten Commandments. They're just a bad person, so that's what makes a character up being a bad guy. So in a wrestling match, if you're lying right off the bat saying the guy pulled my hair, the fans know well, that guy's lying. I don't like him. He's a liar. You've established yourself as the bad guy that easy by just getting, getting knocked down, letting the babyface try to roll you up for a pin. You kick out. Say he pulled your hair. You ain't got no damn hair. But you know what? You're telling the referee that you're lying. You're gonna do whatever it takes to win the match because that's what you're both out there for. So when you get into the psychology of the pin, I like to tell my story with the quick pin early. Right? You go for something kind of quick. Usually schoolboy off a roll up. Maybe it's a small package. Um, but as you start to work into the meat and potatoes of the match, especially if you're the bad guy, and you're putting the heat on, um, or if you're the face and you're shining, either or, this is usually when you're getting your first pin attempts against your opponent. I like to go for what's considered the lateral plat- press, your 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 traditional classic pin, where it's uh, uh, um, your opponent's laying flat on their back on the mat, and you're putting your chest on their chest horizontally. And you're putting most of your weight up on their shoulder area. You're trying to hold their their shoulders on the mat, putting your weight across their chest. The lateral press, I like to go for that pin early on because it's establishing, hey, I'm trying to pin, I'm trying to hold their arms down. And that's where the kick out becomes so important. And you go for a pin within the first two minutes of the match this way. You got the roll ups, like I said, then you go for regular <laughs> lateral press. Uh-oh. All right, you went for a ride there, folks. My recorder just went flying across the room under a table. We're still recording. We're back. I lost my train of thought. I got too excited. The hands were motioning. I knocked things down. and needed to keep them under the table. But um, the uh, lateral press... Where you're across the chest to chest, you're holding the shoulders down, and the guy kicks out. That's where the kick out is so damn important. Because the kick out early on like that really establishes that you're trying to win and that guy's trying not to trying not to lose. So the purpose of a kick out is if the guy is laying across your chest, or girls laying across the other girl's chest. Your opponent you're laying across the person and you got all your weight on them. You can't bench press them off of you because you're not in a position. Your arms are pinned. you You can't. You need that leverage. So you either got to bridge your hips up to pop them off of you. But the classic way of doing it, what we've been taught through the history of pro wrestling, is your legs are very strong parts of your body, right? So if you use your leg strength and you kick yourself up, you're popping your hips up off the mat, you're kicking your legs up, that's naturally going to push your momentum and leverage to pop the pro opponent up off of your upper torso and your shoulders, which allows your shoulder to come free up off the mat, stopping the referee's count at one, at two, definitely before three because if it's three, you lose. So you're, you're kicking out with that sense of urgency, and you really want to put that power into it. And it should look like it should look like you give a damn when you kick out. So pop those hips, drive those legs, push it up. And you use every ounce of your energy. Kick that guy up off you. And then get your shoulders up off the mat. Don't lay back down. Shoulders on the mat, you lose. Your feet, and that's where feeding and selling comes in. and a whole other psychology behind it. They don't teach you this in wrestling school, kids. I'm sorry, you want an education here, Papa Priest has gotcha. I'll take you right to the corner of the feet and right along in this tutorial here. So as you kick out and get the shoulder up, sit up a little bit. Look bewildered. Let the fans see that face. That shock, holy shit, this guy almost just beat me. And then as he sells that, he's pissed off, oh, kicked out. He's frustrated. He's right there to grab you in a chin lock, grab you in a hole, sleeper, whatever it might be, grabs your arm, grabs your leg. He's going to go right into a hold, and then you can work out your next spot. You can talk, say, all right, what's next, bubba? And you got the guy, and you're going to go into it. But it all comes from the pin. That's why the pin is so important. And I, 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 it drives me insane when guys are like, oh, you shouldn't go for a pin. Early on in a match. Why the hell not? Purpose of your match is to win, so you should go for a pin early on. Uh, like a... Not every match. Not every match. Most matches, especially if you're two, two new guys. But there's a time and a place that there's a main event style. There's a different style for main events. Um, different style for certain types of matches. But nonetheless, you should try to win the match at all. Proof, you're trying to establish to the fans that you're trying to win the match. Um, I have to keep realizing that even guys in today's age of pro wrestling do not have the psychology training that I, I take it for granted sometimes. How the psychology training uh, of of these guys goes because a lot of guys are more or less taught moves, and the psychology they have is from video games or what they see on TV, not the actual real psychology and the storytelling and the basis of why it's done so you've done the lateral press and the guy kicks out so the next time you go for a pin are you going to do a lateral press maybe you might change your angle you might go for the three-quarter you might put your your hands on their wrists to try to hold them down you're changing it up don't go for another lateral press the same way change up the way you go for a pin the second time you go for a pin attempt and it's so lost uh, the, the the guys will go for the same type of pin every time because they're thinking. They're thinking about their next spot. They're thinking about what they're going to do. So they just go into what's, ha- what's, what's habitual and what's comfortable for them to, to go into and what they think of. And they're calling a spot and they're having a lazy pin and a lazy kick out because they're too worried about the next thing. Where if you are caught up in the moment, you're just reacting to your opponent, you're working off of each other, you're actually freaking working and not remembering... You're reacting, you go for the pin, guy kicks out, you sell it for a second, you let the audience understand and let them really understand, oh, oh, he almost lost. There's a kick out. Okay, now he's back on the attack. That's why, it's why you always hear the old timers say, slow down, kid, slow down. That's why they're saying it, let, let it sink in. Everything has a purpose. So the next time you get that guy down for a pin, you want to change the type of pin you go for. I'm not saying go from a lateral press to a to a la Magistra cradle. We don't need to go that far. I'm not saying to go into the prong hole. I'm not saying we need to do that yet. I'm saying you go from a lateral press, then maybe you go to a three quarter press. Or maybe the next time you're you're going you're snaking behind the head with a quarter Nelson press. Or you uh, maybe go with a three-quarter Nelson. Or you maybe go for the Oklahoma roll. But don't go anything too crazy. We don't want to get too fancy. No victory rolls. that but, yeah, but I I think the psychology is as simple as you go for lateral press, boom, guy kicks out. Then you go for it. You're putting your, your more three-quarter press is what I always call it because it's like shoulder to shoulder, and you're trying to hold their arms down, and then they're able to still kick you off. So what do you do the next time? This is what I would, not every match, but this is what I would usually do. When the guy would kick out of there, I'm in a position where I can hook his leg and you always you always would hear and this this and this is such a lost art and this is why as a commentator I can get this story over when guys know how to how tell to tell their story with via pinfall because as a commentator Gorilla Monsoon legendary man what he was so good at was telling the story of pinfalls and it's, no one talks about it but as someone who dissects commentary I go oh my god he's saying like He's not hooking the leg. 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 Because that wrestler is a smart wrestler. He's got good storytelling, good psychology. Eventually, he's going to hook the leg. And Monsoon's like, oh, there he goes. He hooked the leg. Why? And that makes the false finish that much more meaningful because you're building up to it. It's lateral press. Guy kicks out. 3 core press. Guy kicks out. You're frustrated. You hook the leg. So, guy still kicks out when you got the leg hook because you're the, 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 the psychology behind hooking the leg is now you're putting your body weight a- across your opponent's chest and your shoulders, trying to hold them down. So then when they keep kicking out, when you hook the leg, you're pulling their legs up. Also, taking that, you're punching them into a little ball trying to hold them down. Which makes that kick out look even more impressive. That They kicked your body weight off of them. So you're, that's what the point of hooking the leg And I hate lazy leg hooks. Lazy leg hooks will drive me insane on a show when I see repeatedly lazy, 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 lazy leg hooks. Because what's the point of hooking the leg if you're just... If you're not trying to hold the guy's shoulders down, lazy pins. There's no, there's no excuse for him. Oh, I know what the excuse everybody's gonna say. Is oh, well, I was trying to remember my next spot. Don't remember your next spot. Work, react, play off each other. So hooking the leg, guy kicks out. Right, now you're frustrated. So that's when you start going into your move set. You know you're working the match. You're beating the guy up. You're beating the guy up. Now you're gonna try to go for something big. And that as a heel. This is heel psychology. As a heel, you're prone to make a mistake now because you're getting frustrated because this guy keeps kicking out. From the heel standpoint, from the bad guy standpoint, you're getting mad, you're getting frustrated, you're going to start cheating, you're going to go into that 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 dirty tactics. You're going to go for pins where that's where back in the day they'd hook the tights or they put the feet on the ropes for the leverage. To hold the person down you're trying to stack them down that's why those pins made sense in ended matches because they could tell a story through the freaking pin but what the bayface is doing by constantly kicking out is he's showing that he has perseverance he can overcome adversity and he um by him constantly kicking out it's like getting you know it's, it's like getting rocked in a fight whether it be MMA you uh, uh or boxing and you see the guys getting beat up and they're, they're just trying to survive the round surviving a round is like kicking out you <laughs> still got some fight left in him. Okay, we'll I'm gonna whoop, you up, whoop you up some more. And, you, and and that's that's the importance of a kick out. And then as you build your match up, and then you're hitting these bigger, higher impact moves and going for the pin, the guy keeps kicking out, kicking out, kicking out. Now you've got false finishes because people are like, how many times does this son of a bitch kick out? Well, I'll tell you. He's going to kick out because he's a tough son of a bitch. And that's how you can get over with your character. Now I was going back a few podcasts where I said your character, if your character is your chicken shit heel, you don't kick out ever. That guy just—he's kicking your ass from pillar to post across the ring. He's not going for a pin. There's no, there's no story to go for a pin. He'll go for a pin when he's ready to because he's going to kick your ass until you kick out. And that's why every match does not need to be the same and follow the same formula. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot stress enough the importance of strong kickouts. And strong pin attempts and following the a story with your pin attempts and mixing it up, um, going for different things. And some moves set you up for a different type of pin, which is what makes the false finish that much more exciting, right? So if you've got like um, a Samoan driver, was another move I used to do. It's got the person up in their shoulders, firing a carry. You swing them around almost into like a Michinoku driver where they're going to land on their back between your legs. Boom. Well, you're sitting on your keister. With their head between your legs on their back, you're looking down at them. You can grab both legs and pull them over. You can try to get your legs over their shoulders. So you got your legs over their arms, you're holding them on. That, and then, that, boom, he explodes with the big kick out. It's like, son of a bitch, how am I going to beat this person? But that's the, that is why I'm pinning and telling a story within the pinfall is so pivotal in, 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 in separating. And I'm not saying they go out there, your next wrestling match, and, and, and try to apply this. What I'm saying is think about it. Just open up your mind to telling a story in the ring around pins. Not every match. I would love it if every match, but it's going to make you a better pro wrestler if you have good pin attempts and good kickouts because you'll hear the crowd respond differently and you'll understand that what people are there to see and what they like. Fans don't. Sure, they want to be entertained and they want to see something cool, but they're they 're not going to get emotionally invested into you if you can do a moonsaw right they 'll get emotionally invested into you if you 're getting your ass kicked and you keep fighting back and you keep kicking out and you keep getting up and you keep showing that you 're going to overcome whatever adversity is being put on you just because you do a flip doesn't mean someone's going to like they 're going to like your flip they 're not going to like you. Make them like you, and pins and kickouts is a way that you can tell a story, establish your character, you can get heat, you can get over either way of the token, and that is the psychology and the story behind a pinfall, no matter what it is. And and, and going back to the whole finishing move thing, I think it's more important for guys to have like a go-to pin, like a, like a quick flash type of pin um, that seems to work, not every time, but more often than not. Um, you don't want to win every match with a small package because when a guy kicks out of a small package, it's like you're gonna do another one. Sure, you know, but it's okay for win a match or two with small package, and The next match, a guy kicks out of a small package, and the next match you win with it. Like it's it's all situational storytelling, psychology. And, and I know I'm not gonna change the wrestling business, and I don't want the wrestling business to go back to what it was the 1970s or 80s. What I'm what I think needs to change is the fundamental thought process that has gotten away from the roots and the foundation that built this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sport and form of entertainment that's turning into more gymnast and it's turning into more Cirque du Soleil and less Hamlet, less Shakespeare. We need to get back to that common ground of where it's just as much... Psychology and theater it's well written and well well told stories and less about the big over the top theatrics um the less stunts less stunts more story um that way when there are stunts they mean that much more um, I mean you see these stunt show wrestling shows where it, it, it guys, you're getting paid 20 bucks and you're you're diving every match. If every match is a dive, then no dives mean anything. Understand that for yourself, too. Yeah, you want to do it because you think it's going to get over and everybody's now thrives for that this is awesome or the holy shit chant. And there's guys who've made a hell of a lot more money with way bigger names than me that are saying the same stuff on way more listened to podcasts. But what I'm saying is, okay, that's going to work for these guys. How can I over how can i connect to a crowd differently and i'll tell you you can do it with pins you can do it with fundamentals if you've got really 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 good fundamentals and your fundamentals are better than everybody else's and you're doing the little things better than everyone else that's what a smart wrestling mind is going to see and i don't care who it is any good booker is going to go well shit that guy That guy is a hell of a lateral press. But you know why? Because he's putting 100% effort into it. It's going to make you a better worker. Yeah, you're going to get blown up. It's going to be exhausting because a lot of guys now, they put so much running around the ring. Go back to making everything you do have purpose, have meaning, and that, that starts with a pin, and especially with the kickout, guys. The kickout is so freaking important. I cannot stress the kickouts enough. Get your whole body up off that mat when you kick out. There's a time and a place, late in a match, where you're both beat the hell, where you kick out with everything you got, and then you lay there. But for God's sakes, for for don't lay flat on your back looking at the lights after you kick out, because the fans can't see your face, they can't see your body, and it looks like you're trying, you know, you're putting yourself right back in position to get pinned again. When you kick out, if you're gonna lay there and sell it, lay on your side, um, lay on your damn side, like let the people at least see your body breathing heavy and you're trying to muster up the energy to crawl to those ropes and they can see the pain and the agony agony and the anguish in your face and that's taking every ounce of energy that it takes within you just to just to try to get up just to move and you're hurt you're beat up and that just you have nothing left in the gas tank. You're completely on knee, but you still just kicked out because you're trying to get a 200-pound human being off of your body, off of your shoulders, because you want to prove to the F fans that you winning that match means the world to you. It's more than the payday. It's a shot at that championship because those fans think those championships are meaningless, meaningful. As a worker, we know they're meaningless. It's a prop. It's a toy. But the fans, that's meaningful. Every fan strives for that championship. They're living vicariously through you. So you kick out, and you're laying there. You're hurt. You're beat up. You're tired. You're exhausted. In real life, you're probably totally 100% fine. But yeah, you're a little sore, a little dinged up, but you've got the adrenaline going. You're just thinking you're exposed. But you're trying to evoke that emotion to the, and connect to those people in the crowd and make them go, get up, bud. And then you get to your feet, and your guy gets your feet, and he's pissed off. He's coming at you, you know. And you catch him with a quick, going one, two, three. The pin is so important because that should be your biggest pop every night is on the pin, not on the move. So I think I've talked enough about pins because that's how we end a match. That's how we're gonna end the year. Um, feel free to ask me questions, Matthew One T underscore Priest One T on the Instagram and Twitter. Um that's all I got. I appreciate any feedback. I know this is a long one here. It's gonna be a two-parter this week. But I appreciate all you for listening and making uh my creative outlet in 2020 uh, something that's gonna keep me inspired uh at least for the next year. So thank you everyone. Um have a safe happy holiday season. Have a safe start to 2021 um you can accomplish whatever goals you set out for you can take care of it uh on your own you can be whatever it is that you want to strive for just take a first step forward a little bit of progress can go a long way you're gonna hit bumps in the road you're gonna have bad days you're gonna have good days but you're in control of your destiny there and when times get tough and adversity strikes just remember that that's what's going to introduce you to yourself. And you got two choices. You either overcome it or you let adversity win. I always root for those who go to overcome it because that builds perseverance. And without adversity, there is no perseverance. And we all have like to persevere. Perseverance is a great reward that we get at the end of every day. So just stay, just stay strong. Uh, 2021's here. It's a new year. A lot of us are looking forward to it with a fresh start, fresh set eyes, and, um, just take, don't, don't take, uh, don't take every day for granted. Um, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever opportunities, um, come your way, just keep an open mind, stay humble, um, and just stay honest and true to yourself. Um, and you know what's best for you, so, so go for it, and. Like I said, just try to get a little bit of progress for your goals. Don't 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 set any the bar too high. Just just set for something and accomplish it and then then slowly raise the bar. Um you know, think like of a high jump and track. But you can do whatever it is you wanna do. It might be a lot of hard work up front, it might be might be a lot of challenges to get going, but it'll be worth it when you finally start. So i'll get off my soapbox i've been on it for long enough tonight i've been talking pretty much nonstop for the last three hours and i'm still not shutting up so that's why this is ramblings of a grappleman ladies and gentlemen i thank you very much for listening take care have a happy new year safe travels